This week as I was studying, I noticed something. In my copy of the Bible, we have come now to the last three pages of Scripture. In my copy of the Bible, there are 1,642 pages. And now in this study, we are moving into the very last three pages. Now I think about it, all of those pages, all the things that are written on them, to me this is too much. All that is there, all that we have read, all that we've still yet to study, all of those pages, chapters, books, all of those words, and we are now looking at the last three pages of God's Word. Friends, I want to tell you today, those three pages hold the climax event of the entire thing. Uh, those three pages unfold and reveal the hope of believers through all of these many ages. And friends, I want to tell you this. It's a, it's a strong statement, but I want to tell you this. The glory of God is nowhere on display as it is in these three pages. Now, you can think about some events in the pages of Scripture, and I'll, and I'll tell you, I truly believe this. The glory of God is nowhere on display as it is in these three pages. This is it today. This is it. I was thinking about that, and I was overwhelmed thinking about all the countless songs that have been written about these three pages. And you can start to think about some of those. Uh, all of the countless songs written about these three pages. I was thinking about the countless sermons that have been preached about these three pages. Now, I can think about some of the great sermons that I've heard preached on these three pages. More than that, I think about the countless hopes that have been hung on the truth of these three pages. And I think about the saints through all the years and all the things that they have gone through and all the things that they have endured and how many hopes have been hung on the truths of these three pages. Well, here we are now at these three pages. And the truth of these three pages and the story of these three pages, the revelation of these three pages is that Jesus is physically coming to this earth again. Friends, praise the Lord. Listen to me. Praise the Lord on the authority of God's word today. Jesus Christ, our Savior, Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus is physically coming to this earth again. Listen to this, and we're going to behold that. We will behold that. Today our message, if I can contain myself, today our message is entitled, The King is coming. The king is coming. We're in Revelation chapter 19, today verses 11 through 16, just a piece of the verses. The king is coming. Revelation chapter 19, today verses 11 through 16. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. The king is coming. Revelation chapter 19, beginning in the 11th verse, God's word says this. And I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, 
so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we come in reverence today. We come and we approach these verses today and we come in awe today. And Lord, we come and we sing your praises, we lift up your name. I pray as we study this event that, that is told to us in your word, I pray, Lord, that we would be built up as the church. I pray that we would be encouraged as the church, as believers. I pray, Lord, that this truth would ring out and I pray that it would bear fruit in this room and other places as well. I pray if there's anyone who does not know you in the hearing of the gospel of a risen king, a risen lamb, I pray that today they would turn to you and they would receive you in faith. I pray that any hindrance to that would be removed today, that they would hear with ears today and a mind and a heart that can respond. Lord, we come and we just tell you we love you, we praise you, we exalt you. I ask that in this next hour, next part of an hour, that you would move in a supernatural way, a mighty way. We trust it to you, we give it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Moving through the study of, of Revelation, moving into the chapters that we are now in, uh, as I think about it, I think today we have an idea or an understanding of Jesus that is out of balance. And I think maybe in the church as a whole today, I think many of us today, we have ideas or an understanding of Jesus that is out of balance. Uh, have you ever had a car and the tire gets out of balance uh, and it vibrates and it shakes and it bounces the car all over the road? Or, or maybe have you ever had a washing machine and the, the load gets out of balance and it shakes and it rattles and it moves all around the floor. Well, uh, I believe in the same way. I think our understanding or maybe our idea, concept of Jesus today is also out of balance. I believe today, I think today, we see Jesus as the promised Christ, as the Messiah. Uh, he is the subject of all the prophets. I believe we see him as that, and he truly is that. I believe we see today uh, Jesus as the Lamb of God who comes to pay for sin, uh, the sacrifice that is needed, the sacrifice that is provided for sinners. And I believe we understand that. We see that, and he truly is that. I know today we see him, we understand him as the baby of Bethlehem, the baby that was placed in a manger, Emmanuel, God in flesh. And I think we see that and we understand that, and he truly is that. I believe we see Jesus as the one who goes to the cross and who is nailed to the cross and he dies for us paying the price for sin. And I think we see Jesus as the victor of Easter. Though, though that he died, yet he lives again. And he is not here for he has risen. And I think we see Jesus like that. And yes, he truly is. And I think we have all of these True understandings of Jesus, and listen, they, they are awesome, they are great, and we should have those understandings, but I believe that perhaps we are missing or we do not give enough weight to Jesus, the soon and coming king. 
And I think somehow that's happened. I don't know how that's happened. But we talk about all these ideas, these truths of Jesus. But for some reason, we haven't given weight to Jesus, the soon and coming king. Friends, I want to be clear, and I want you to be sure today that just as those things are true, and it's just as we have memorized verses about those things, just as we have sung songs about those things, just as those things are true, just as true is the reality that Jesus, Jesus is actually physically coming again to this earth. And listen, friends, we need to be sure of that. We need to be confident of that. We need to have joy in that. Just as he came one time, just as we believe those events are true, just as true is the reality that Jesus is actually literally physically coming to this earth again. That's not a fairy tale. That's not a superstition. That's not a summer teaching some symbolic representation. Listen, Jesus is coming again. Today our verses, we're moving through the 19th chapter. Today our verses are going to tell us of that happening. Today maybe we'll make some steps of getting back into balance today in our understanding of Jesus. All right, let's go to our verses this morning. In chapter 19, we have read of a scene of celebration in heaven. In chapter 19, we have heard the four shouts of hallelujah. Remember, it's the untranslated Hebrew word that means praise the Lord. And so we have heard those shouts, praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen. Well, today in our verses, John continues. Now, let me say this, and you may know it, but I want to be very clear today. Understand this, what we are reading of today is the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what's told to us in these verses. That's what we are studying today. This account is revealing to us, telling to us, the second coming of Jesus Christ. All right, so let's go and begin in our verses, starting in verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. All right, let's go piece by piece through that verse. There's really a lot to unpack there in that verse. John looks, and the Bible tells us, the account tells us, that he sees heaven opened. Now, the verb tense there, it means that he looks, and heaven is standing open. It is open. And so he looks and heaven is opened, and it says, and behold. That word means, and see, or take note of. Heaven is opened, and behold, and see a white horse. Now, a white horse was a sign of power. It was a sign of strength, and it is a sign of victory. Uh, in ancient times, a king or a warrior would go out on a military campaign. Now, for whatever the reason that was, they would mount up, they would assemble their army, they would go off uh, on a military campaign. Uh, they would be gone sometimes for days, sometimes the campaign would be longer, maybe they'd be gone for months, sometimes even for years. But when they returned victorious, uh, they would come back and there would be much fanfare. When they would come back, 
uh, they would carry with them the spoils of war. And as they came back in, the, in their victory, that warrior, that king, would ride a white horse. And so when they come back, when they top the hill, when they start to come down, it would know, you would know there was a victory that had been won. And it would symbolize the power of the warrior, the strength and the victory of that king. Well, John says here, he looks and heaven is open and he sees a white horse. Verse continues and it says, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. Now, first off, and I want to go through this very early, first off, understand today, the rider is Jesus himself. Uh, earlier, you may remember, we learned of a white horse. We read of a white horse, and we were not sure of the rider. We had to deduce uh, who that rider was. Well, I want to be uh, very clear here. T today, it is very clear, this is the Messiah, this is Jesus himself. And so there is a horse, and on that horse is a rider. And I want you to be sure from the very start, that rider is Jesus. And it says, and he is called faithful and true. Faithful and true. Now these two adjectives separately have meaning. But when they are put together, these two adjectives really serve to build one picture or they build for us one understanding. So the two words are put together and tied together, and they relay to us a singular meaning. Faithful and true, linked together, used together, they mean reliable, trustworthy, able to be depended on. It means what is expected is realized. What is promised is fulfilled. What is hoped is obtained. What is started is finished. And this writer, Jesus, he is called faithful and true. Now, I'll just tell you, I don't need to stop right there, but I'm going to stop right there for just a second. Isn't that Jesus? Isn't that Jesus? He keeps his word. Isn't that Jesus? He delivers not one promise of his has ever failed. Uh, we can trust when we can't trust anybody. We can trust Jesus. Isn't that Jesus? When you can't depend on anybody, listen, friend, we can depend on Jesus. John sees him. And there he is. Now, I thought about that. It didn't hit me till this morning. But I thought about that, and he sees him, and the heavens are opened up, and there is this great white horse, and on that white horse, there is one who is called faithful and true, and he is trustworthy, and he is dependable, and it is Jesus. And I thought for just a second, it hit me this morning. Can you imagine John when he first met Jesus? And can you imagine John as he walked with Jesus, and they made a camp, and as they talk to each other as they walk together? Couldn't you imagine John as he sees Jesus on the cross? We know he was there that evening as he sees him jerked up and arrested as he sees him nailed to the cross of Calvary. Can you imagine this John? He saw that. Can you imagine this John? He's the one that gets to the tomb and, and he sees that the tomb is empty. This John, he sees the resurrected Jesus. This John, he sees the ascension of Jesus. All of those events, all of those days, he has seen Jesus like that. But I want to tell you, friend, he's never seen Jesus like this. 
Oh, and he looks up and heaven is opened up and there's a white horse, a horse of victory. And his rider is called Faithful and True. And it's Jesus. He sees Jesus. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. Now do not miss the last half of that verse. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. And in righteousness he does two things. He judges and he wages war. Now the first thing we see here in this verse is Jesus comes as the righteous judge. Jesus comes back and he comes as the righteous judge. And he does it. He judges in perfect justice. That's what this is revealing to us. He does it without prejudice. He doesn't have, he doesn't hold, carry the prejudices that we do. And so he comes and he judges without prejudice. He does it without corruption. He hasn't been bought. He hasn't been tainted. And so he comes and he judges in perfect justice. Jesus comes to judge and he comes as the judge. That's the first thing we see here. Second thing is this, he comes to wage war. He comes, and listen, he comes to wage war. I want to be clear here. And I'll tell you, there's a whole lot of folks who wouldn't touch this with a 10-foot pole. But I want to be clear here, and in fidelity to God's word, I must be clear here. I want you to hear me very carefully this morning. Folks, the second coming of Jesus for most people, are you listening to me? The second coming of Jesus for most people, for those who are outside of Jesus Christ, who have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who have rejected the truth of Jesus Christ, for most people, the second coming of Jesus, it is going to be a terrible and terrifying day like has never been seen. And for them, it'll not be a day of celebration. For them, it'll not be a day that they would ever look forward to. The Bible says Jesus is coming to wage war, and he's going to wage war against his enemies. He is going to crush and defeat the forces of evil. And listen, friend, it is a serious thing. There are some folks today, and they say this is symbolic, and I don't know why they, why they come to those conclusions. Maybe it's too tough to hold on to. But they say it's symbolic. There are some even today that go as far and say this is not Christ-like. And they would say this is not Christ-like. This is not an action that Christ would ever carry out. And they try and explain this verse away. Be very sure today, Jesus in righteousness and perfect justice is coming, listen to me, to actually literally wage war. Jesus is coming to wage war. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. Verse 12. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except Himself. The description of the writer Jesus goes on in verse 12. John reports to us, his eyes are a flame of fire. 
Now, we have seen that picture before. We have studied that picture before. It means his eyes see everything. They burn through the fake. They see through any deception. They are not misled. They are not deceived. Nothing escapes his vision. Nothing will be overlooked by him. Now, I want you to imagine that picture for just a second. Jesus comes, and he comes on this white horse, and he is called faithful and true. It's told to us that he's going to judge. It's told to us that he's going to wage war. And here he comes, and he sees everything. And he knows everything. Friends, there's not going to be any place to hide. And his eyes, the Bible says, are like a flaming fire. The description goes on. And on his head are many diadems. That is a word that means crowns. It literally means a royal crown. It translates a kingly ornament for the head. I want you to see this. The word here says many diadems. The word here for many, it translates multitudinous. <laughs> it, it translates multitudinous. It means much in number. Uh, one, of the, one of the translations I found says even more. And so when you get to a number and you think you have it counted, it's even more. When you think you say we've identified this as a lot, it's even more. And that's what it literally means. It is multitudinous. It is even more. And so on his head, he has a multitude of many crowns. This is signifying his rule over all the earth. This is signifying there's no part of the earth, no piece of the earth, no remnant of the earth that he does not rule and reign over. Some have had crowns before, but he possesses all the crowns, a multitude of crowns. They are on his head, and they are there in much number. The description continues, and it says he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. Where it is written on him, we do not know that. We know it is visible. He sees it. It's visible. We do not know where it is written. What is written, we do not know that. It is unknown. I think it's interesting, whenever we find something like that in Scripture, uh, for some reason, some people go crazy. And they, <laughs> for some reason, they can't accept. There's a name no one knows. They think, well, i got to know that. And so there's folks and they've, they've written papers and they've written dissertations and they've written books and they try to speculate and say, well, I believe the name is this. And I believe the name that no one knows. I guess I know it. And so the name is this. And I believe it may be this. And it may be written on his forehead or somewhere else. And they, they try to figure it out and they have all these ideas. Here's what I don't know. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it says. But here's what I do get. Listen very carefully. Whatever we know of Jesus... And whatever we know him as, he's the seed of Abraham. He's the root of David. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Prince of Peace. He is our Savior. I could go on for a while. Whatever we know him as, here's what this means. It's even more than that. That's what it means. Whatever we know him as, oh, it's awesome. It's what we know him as. Whatever we know him as, it's even more than that. We will not know this name until this day, but we do know it's going to be more than we know. How awesome is that? Verse 13. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
He is clothed the robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. The description of the writer Jesus goes further here in verse 13. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Now, I just want you to see, I want you to go ahead and understand this. That is a very stark picture. In fact, that is a very startling picture when we start to think about it. He is clothed in a robe, and his robe is dipped in blood. Understand, as Jesus approaches on his robe, you can see blood. And so here he comes on this great white horse. Here he comes, and he is called faithful and true. Here he comes, and his mission is told to us. But as he approaches, when we look at his robe, we can see there's blood on his robe. Now, there are some that say it is his own blood. And they believe it marks the blood that was shed at the cross of Calvary. And they say that's what this blood is. When he comes, he has on his robe the blood of Calvary, a reminder of the cross of Calvary. I want to tell you, friends, this is a long way from the cross of Calvary, and I don't think that's what it is. I don't think that's it. There are some that say, and they teach that this is the blood of the saints, and he is coming to avenge them. And so as he comes, it is fitting that he wears their blood. And I'll tell you, that seems like a fitting thing, but I want to tell you from the context here, I believe they are coming with him. And so again, I don't believe that is the picture that is painted here. Listen very carefully. I believe his robe is dripping with the blood of his enemies. And hear me, I believe that is a serious thing. And I believe that is a heavy thing. But I think about this picture, and I want to tell you the, the actual context. What I believe it means is this. You can't trample out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored and not stain the robe that you trample that vintage in. And I believe where they had shed his blood, now in righteous judgment, he sheds their blood. And I believe where they had mocked and they had rejected his blood that had been shed for them, he now requires of them their very own blood. And I believe where they are now found not under the protection of the blood of the Lamb, their own blood runs out, sealing their doom. And I believe on his robe, very serious is their blood. Friends, do you see the picture there? A lot of folks don't like that picture there. Don't gloss over that picture. Don't, don't miss that picture. Jesus, the warrior, is coming, and his judgment is fierce, and he's trampling out the vintage. Those that have rejected his name, those that have warred against him, and their blood is staining the, 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 the edges of his garment, and it drips from his robe. Goes on. It says, and his name is called the Word of God. We know that name. We have studied that name. This very author, the Apostle John, he has written it to us. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it said, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. I want you to be very confident today. This writer is Jesus. This writer is God himself. God come in the flesh. And now he comes again, and once again we behold his glory. Verse 14. Verse 14 is an awesome verse. I love verse 14. Verse 14, the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. I want you to listen to that. 
And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. In verse 14, we find that Jesus comes not alone, but he has with him, the Bible says, an army. Now, I believe from the context here, I believe from what they are wearing here, this army they are made up, it is made up of the redeemed saints of God. And I believe that's who this army is. I don't think it's an angelic army. I think this army, it is made up of the redeemed saints of God. The Bible says here they wear fine linen, white and clean. I believe this represents to us, it is a picture to us, the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we wear. When we trust Jesus, our sin and our shame, it is forgiven and he gives us his robe of righteousness to wear in his great grace. And I believe that is the picture here. I think about this verse and I'll tell you, I love this verse. I think about this verse and I think it is very awesome that saints that were collected in rags, now they come back in robes, robes of righteousness to the glory of God. And the Bible says here, they too now ride white horses of victory. Now I start to try to picture that. I believe these are the redeemed saints of God. And I, I start to try to picture that. I want us to stop for just a second here. I want us to go slow here. And I want us to try and picture this. Here coming on this day with Jesus is an army of the redeemed. And I, I start to think about that, how, how far it must stretch, how, how large that army must be. And when you look, and when John looks and he sees, here is an army of the redeemed, and there they come. And there is another, and there is another, and there they are. And you can see another and another, and how far it must stretch. And there's another, and there's another. And he stretches out his neck, and he looks, and it seems to be no end of it. And there's another, and another, and another, redeemed by their Savior, forgiven of their sin, and they're coming in victory. And another, and another, and another, and way in the back, it looks like a dot on the horizon. And another, and another, and another. Those that are saved in the power and the grace of a Savior named Jesus, testimonies to his grace, here they come, and another, and another, and another. Can you picture that army? Before we move here, I want you to notice something about this army. This is a strange army. See here, they wear no weapons. Did you notice that? They have no sword. They have no spear that they carry because it's not their war to wage. See here, they wear no armor. It doesn't say they came in shining armor. They have no shield to carry because there's no threat of injury that exists for them. And so I want you to see this. They come as a victorious army. Before the battle ever starts, they come as a victorious army. They don't have a spear, don't have a sword, don't need a shield. They come, and the victory is actually truly in Jesus. I heard an old, old story. The victory truly is in Jesus. The battle's won, and so they come as an army of victory. Verse 15. <coughs> From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. 
me read verse 15 again. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. Jesus comes, and from his mouth is a sword. And in his hand, the Bible says, is a rod of iron. And the wrath of God for sin that has been held in God's great patience. The wrath of God for sinners that has been stored up for all of these ages. It is unleashed in God's judgment. His anger towards sin, his justice is rolled out. And war is waged. Last part of the description is in verse 16. Let me read verse 16. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When I read that, that's too much. When I, when I read that, that's too much. That's too much to try to explain. And on his robe and on his thigh is a name written, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm going to tell you, that's too much. The best that I can do here is to hold up the contrast that we see. I read that title there, the best that I can do here. I can't do much with that. The best that I can do is hold up the contrast that we have seen. And as this scene unfolds here in these words, and as it unfolds one day in reality, I think the best that I can do to help you understand this is to hold up the contrast here. I want you to picture this. I want you to see this. I want you to go with me right here. You see, he came once. He came the very first time in radical humility. But he'll come the next time in unquestioned majesty. He came the very first time and it was a demonstration of meekness. He'll come the next time and it'll be a demonstration of undeniable power. He came the very first time and he appeared and we see him come down in Jerusalem and he's riding on a little old donkey. But I want to tell you, friend, he'll come the very next time and he will come on a stately white steed. The, the victory of battle will be marked in his ride. He comes the very first time as a lamb, the lamb of God. But he'll come the next time as a lion, the lion of Judah. He came the very first time and they beat him across the back and they nailed him to a Roman cross. But I want to tell you, when he comes the next time, a sword and a rod will mark that day. When he came the first time, his blood was shed as they laugh and as they jeered. But when it comes the next time, their blood will be shed and justice will be, observed, will be served. When he came the first time, a crown of thorns was fashioned and it was pressed into his brow and they said, behold your king. But when he comes the second time on his head, the Bible says there will be a multitude of crowns. There will be many diadems and these crowns will exhort his glory. When he came the first time, the Bible says, and John records that he came into his own in one of the saddest statements in Scripture, and they received him not. Friends, listen to me. Are you listening? When he comes this time, where they rejected him the first time, where they mocked him the first time, where they shamed him the first time, when he comes this time, it will be very clear. When he comes this time, it'll be on full display. When he comes this time, it'll be written for all to see. And all 
on his thigh and on his robe. Listen, it'll say, here is the king, Jesus, this one, the king of all the kings, the Lord of all the glories, and all glory will declare, behold, your king, your king. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the reality. That's the truth. I want to tell you today, hearing that, knowing that, there's a decision to be made. And I want to tell you today, the, the reality is this. Listen very carefully. You'll meet Jesus, and you'll either meet him as your Savior, or you'll meet him as your judge. Do you know that? That's what this is saying here. He's coming, and listen, friend, he's coming to judge, and he's coming to, to defeat the, the enemies of his kingdom. And when you meet Jesus, you'll meet him either as your Savior, not because you're good, you're not. Not because you did a bunch of things, nothing's going to impress him but by faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary because you trusted him, because you named him your Lord and your King, trusting him as your Savior, you will be saved. And on that day, you'll see the King, you'll see Jesus, and you'll see him as your Savior. Or I want to tell you, in your rebellion, in your rejection, in your pride, you'll deny it all the way to your death. And on that day, you'll meet him as your judge. And he will righteously strike you down. You're either going to meet him as your Savior, your judge. Listen to me. In his grace, it's offered to you today. In his grace, the call is for you today. Trust him today as your Lord. Trust him today. Claim him as your Savior. He will save you today. Praise the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. During Father, we come. I'm thankful for such a Savior. And I'm thankful that you came as a lamb. You humbled yourself, becoming a man, humbled yourself to the point of death, even death on a cross, even though you're the king of all the kings, the Lord of all the lords. Lord, I pray that you are known and exalted as such. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray in the hearing of good news, and that's what this is, I pray in the hearing of good news that they would trust you today. Pray that they would hear they would set aside their pride and they would trust you today. And I pray the result would bring much glory to you. I pray, Lord, that they would be added to that throng that will come wearing your robes of righteousness. Lord, I pray for those of us here who have trusted you, who are saved. I pray that we've been encouraged, that we'll be encouraged. But I pray that we'll, we'll, we'll understand the seriousness of the day, the urgency of the day, that those that are outside of Christ will truly perish. And I pray, Lord, that we'll be diligent and urgent to tell them the good news of a risen Savior, of your grace offered to them. Lord, I pray in all of this that you be greatly pleased and glorified. Lord, we give you this message. It's yours. We ask that you continue to work, you continue to speak. I pray in this time of invitation that you would be known and that you'd be glorified in the result. We, we turn it over to you, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. And it, it truly, seriously is the most important thing that we'll do today, and that is this. You get to decide. Who is Jesus to you? Is he your Savior, or will he come as your judge?
He's paid for your sin. He's made a way for you. He loves you. He offers you in, in his grace, in his kindness, in his mercy, in his love, salvation. Won't you trust him today? Wouldn't you come to Jesus today? We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If God is speaking to you, you come today. Let's settle it today. If you need more information, you come. Let's settle it today. He is your Savior. He loves you. Come. Let's settle that today. Maybe you're here and you need to follow believer's baptism, testifying to what we believe of Christ, not as part of our salvation, testifying to it. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I've been saved further back, maybe recently, but I've never followed in obedience to Jesus Christ, and I want that testimony to stand for me. You come. It'll be a great day of celebration. Maybe you're here and you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here. You come as well. And together we'll we'll uptake his gospel. We'll preach it to a lost and dying world until he comes again. Maybe you want to come and pray here at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about, no one would head for an exit. You would pray for those who are making decisions. If God has spoken to you as we stand and sing, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. You come on.